out. Uh, it took me a few Jonah. This is a staff about a month ago. So I know it's not easy to find. I'll give you a second to turn over there. There's four chapters in the book of Jonah, and I have prayerfully decided to study through uh, one chapter a week for the next four weeks in the month of November this year. And maybe I'll kind of express some of the reasons why I felt drawn towards Jonah, this prophet, this story. I'll express that as time goes on. But just to get your thoughts going in the right direction, if you have some sort of biblical background or if you just are somewhat familiar with the Bible, what comes to mind when you think of Jonah? Anybody? A big fish, a well. Okay, I heard some say well. I heard some say big fish. You can see on the screen there's a, a well's tail or a, a big fish tail. Usually when we think of Jonah, we think of a guy who was swallowed by a large fish. I think of a VBS song that we used to sing growing up. Does anybody know the song that I'm referring to? Who did swallow Jonah? Not many of you nodded. I asked Tony if he would lead that song, and he laughed, but he didn't say no. So maybe later on we'll get Tony to lead us in... Who did, who did, who did swallow Jojo Jonah? That's the song I'm thinking of. But I'll tell you from the beginning that Jonah is about much more than just a guy who was swallowed by a great big fish. The story of Jonah is a story of God's pursuit of a reluctant prophet. Jonah was a rebellious kind of guy. He was fearful. He was pouty. He seemed entitled, and you'll see that as we study through Jonah. As one person told me recently, Jonah is kind of like a mirror. We look at the story of Jonah and we see some of our own toxic thoughts and behaviors. But we also see a relentless God who keeps pursuing Jonah as he pursues these other nations like Assyria and the city of Nineveh. We see a God who, who loves all nations, not just the ones that we live in. Right? And one of the things that we also see as we study Jonah is, in my opinion, Jonah is a poor representative. He's a bad representative of the God that he's a prophet for. He's a bad representative of God, a bad example. I was thinking earlier this week, when I was in high school, we had this coach who wanted to get an FCA group started. You know FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Uh, usually you'd meet during your lunch time and and has a speaker, and just kind of a Christ-focused event. Well, this coach wanted to get an FCA going, and the students that he targeted to, to be his student leaders to help him with this, they completely denied him. They didn't want anything to do with it, and they said it's because he cusses like a sailor. He cusses all the time. We're like, we want to follow this guy in an FCA group if he cusses all the time. And this coach was completely denying it. It's like he didn't realize it. So one day he put me on the spot in front of all these students, and he said, Garner, have you ever heard me cuss? And I just said, uh, because all I could think about was how 24 hours earlier he was cussing at me in practice. See, this coach, he, had, he was completely oblivious to the fact that the way he behaved around one group impacted his credibility around another. Right? This lesson on Jonah is not about what constitutes a cuss word and what doesn't. My point is that the way that we act, the way that we behave, people are observing that. And we can either represent God in a positive way for the kingdom of God, or we can be bad representatives. So a lot of the story of Jonah is we look at Jonah and we kind of see what not to do. And you'll notice that as we read through chapter 1. So I already read verse 1 through 3. And the scripture reading this morning, I want to read it again, 
Starting, this kind of sets up the whole story of Jonah, and we'll talk about these two locations, and then we'll get more into chapter 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, we learn a lot about Jonah in this story right there in those first three verses. First of all, Jonah's a prophet. And the word of the Lord came to him. When I see verse 1, my first thought is, what a blessing. How many of us would just love to know specifically, to hear God's voice and know, here's specifically what you need to do with your life? And Jonah gets that call from God. I look at that and I think, well, that should be a great blessing. And then we have these two locations in verse 2 and 3. We have Nineveh, which you see on the map. Uh, is over here, and then we have Tarshish, where Jonah was fleeing towards his way over here. All right, so Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Let's talk about Nineveh for just a second before we move on to Tarshish. What we know about Nineveh it was that it was a violent, barbaric place. God says in verse 2 that its wickedness has come up before me. In the 7th and 8th centuries B.C., uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and they were one of the dominant world powers. If you were to look at the prophet Nahum, in Nahum chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, Nahum refers to Nineveh as the city of blood. And then you scroll down to verse 3, and it it references all the casualties, the piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. That's the kind of place that Nineveh was, the capital of Assyria. Barbaric, they would torture people, the people that they captured, the people groups that they conquered. They would put them on death marches. They practiced genocide. And I could go on and on about how awful this place was. And that's where God is calling to Jonah to go towards. Go to Nineveh, this place that you know of. It's a pretty evil and awful place. And what's Jonah's response? He runs from God, which is interesting. Jonah runs from the presence of of God. Now, if you look throughout Scripture, God will call individuals. God calls Moses, and Moses gives a little pushback. If you read Exodus 3 and 4, the conversation ends with Moses saying, please send somebody else. You can look at Gideon in the Old Testament, and, and God calls Gideon, and Gideon has no confidence. He, Isaiah is blessed to be able to go into the throne room of God And before God sends Isaiah and Isaiah agrees to it, his first response is, I'm not even worthy to be here. You could look at the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm too young, and I don't even know how to speak. Like You could go through all these different call narratives in the Bible and the Scripture, and you see human beings trying to give God some pushback. Like, you you called the wrong person. Jonah's the only person in Scripture that I know of that's called by God and literally tries to run from it. He runs in the opposite direction, and what little we know about Nineveh, what I just told you about, maybe you can see why Jonah did not want to go there. They were the enemy group. They were the group that had conquered them and defeated them and beaten them. So where does Jonah go? He flees to Tarshish. Jerry, I, I can't. That slide's not flipping. But the next slide is a should be First Kings chapter ten. Is it working? Verse twenty-two. I think it's ten twenty-two. Uh, 
There we go. So this is a reference to Tarshish in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22. Um, we see that when Solomon's fleets would go to Tarshish, they would come back. And look at the bottom of that verse. They would come back bringing gold, silvery, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. That's, that's uh, Tarshish right there for you. One commentator said it was an exotic place. Some translations say monkeys, some say baboons. Regardless, I don't know what was going on in Tarshish, but when Jonah was called, that's where he wanted to go. go to, God calls him and tells him to go to Nineveh right here, but instead he goes in the exact opposite direction. Some say Nineveh was uh, present-day Iraq and Tar- Tarshish is present-day Spain. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is. We just know that Jonah's going in the exact opposite direction. He pays the fare, he gets on the boat, and he's headed out. And now we pick up in verse 4 and 5. And what we'll notice, I've mentioned that Jonah was a bad representative for the Lord. You're going to see these contrasts between Jonah and these pagan sailors. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, which, by the way, for the merchants who would have been on board, that was a loss of income for them. I mean, they're throwing stuff overboard to try to lighten the load so that they don't die out in the sea. But look at what Jonah is doing in verse 5. It says, Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So there is what, this is what I'd call character contrast number one in Jonah chapter one. I, I see at least three character contrasts. Jonah's on this boat with all kinds of people, and in the ancient world, most of them were polytheistic. They believed in all sorts of gods, and while they're threatened by this storm out in the, the ocean, they're praying to their gods. They come across, I mean, they don't believe in Yahweh, they don't believe in the God that we believe in. But they're people of faith, and they seem like they they have a heart, like they actually care about what's happening on board. And you can contrast that with Jonah, who's just down below sleeping. Jonah comes across as apathetic, as self-absorbed, while these pagan sailors around him seem like they actually have a heart and they actually care. Many, many years ago, I worked at Camp Deer Run, as a counselor, early 2000s. And when I was there, there was a camp director named David Ward. And for some of those who, who knew David Ward, you know maybe what I'm about to say. But uh, before we would leave on weekends, he would give us a speech, and he would always say, be mindful of your example. Be mindful of your example. Because he was speaking to a staff who were trying to influence young people for Christ during the week. And before we would leave for the weekend, he was reminding us, live on the weekend like you believe in the God who you proclaim during the week. Be mindful of your example. People are observing you. People are watching how you behave. Be mindful of your example. And I could picture David Ward looking at Jonah, if Jonah were in the group, saying, Jonah, be mindful of your example. Because in my opinion, Jonah is a terrible example to everybody that's around him. And then we move on to verse 6. And we have what I would call character contrast number two, this time between Jonah and the captain. The first time it was Jonah and the other pagan sailors on the boat. Now it's just Jonah and the captain. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. Now, this captain, who is responsible for everybody on board, but you can tell that this captain actually cares about them. He cares about saving lives. Jonah's just sleeping. So you have one guy, Jonah, who's supposed to represent God as a prophet, to be a blessing to all nations, which was the original call in Genesis chapter 12 when God called Abram. And instead, Jonah doesn't care about anybody else, but this pagan sailor captain guy, he comes across as somebody who actually cares. Again, Jonah, be mindful of your example. He's not setting a very good example. And then you look at verse 7 through 10, the story continues. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. That was an ancient practice of divination to figure out who the guilty party was. And they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're trying to figure out more about Jonah. Jonah now has an audience. Everybody on that boat in the middle of this storm has now turned to Jonah. And guess what Jonah does in verse 9? He gives a pretty strong testimony. He says, I am a Hebrew. You can almost picture how proud he was when he said that. And look at what he says about God here. I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. When he has an audience full of basically non-believers, he makes a strong statement of faith. I worship the God who created everything that you see. There's not a God for the stars and the moon and the land and the crops. There's one God who created all of this. A strong statement of faith, but it's almost comical, right? Because Jonah's making this statement about God, about worshiping the Lord, about fearing Him while he's running from this God. So the people on board, some of them already know it, and the rest of them are about to know it. This God that Jonah claims created everything, he's running from this God. And then in verse 10, the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is it that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. So not only is Jonah not very mindful of his example and the way that he's coming across and His actions aren't really backing up what his lips are saying about God. But they're looking at him and they're saying, what have you done? What kind of person are you really? And as I was studying through this text over the last month or so, one of the things that I thought of is somebody is always watching. You know, we can read this Jonah story as followers of Jesus through the lens of Jesus. And we think about our own example as we represent Christ And somebody's always watching the way that we're behaving, the way that we're talking, the way that we act when we're out on the road, the way that we treat people when we're in the restaurant, the way we act at work, the way we treat our kids. I mean, I was reviewing this sermon yesterday in the kitchen while my daughter was doing a craft in the living room, and I thought about how parents are, I mean, kids are absorbing everything their parents do, for good or for bad. Like somebody, your kids are always watching your behavior, the way you treat your spouse. They're paying attention to the things that you're really passionate about and whether or not your passions line up with what you say you believe. Kids are, are watching. If you go to work, 
Your coworkers are absorbing your behavior. They're watching you. If you're a student at school, your other students are watching you. Somebody's always watching. And this is the case for Jonah here. He has an audience. These pagan sailors are paying attention to him, and he's, he's not really setting the example that he needs to set. I came across this story about a guy named Roger Greenway. As you see on the map here, he moved his family many years ago to a place called Sri Lanka. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it the way that you would. Some of these words are tough, so Sri Lanka is how, is how I'm pronouncing it. But you see on the map where it's at, I gave you the map to give you an idea. Roger Greenway moves his family to be, become missionaries there. Now, before they left, one of the things that they were already anticipating was how much they were going to miss their luxury, their lifestyle they have in America with all the furniture and all the stuff that they have. So they, had it, they paid a lot of extra money to ship it across the world to them. When they got there, originally the shipment had not come in, and it was about a four-month delay. So Roger Greenway, this missionary, is telling the story, and he said for the first four months, we earned a lot of credibility with the local people because we didn't have anything just like they didn't have anything. So every day we had to go to the local shops and the local markets and shop just like they did. We went out and interacted with our neighbors. We didn't have TV or any entertainment to distract us. And it actually helped them make some progress right away those first four months because their neighbors and the local people viewed them as just one of the locals. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to take care of their kids and figure life out just like we are until the day came that their shipment came in. And then all of a sudden, truckload after truckload showed up at their house, unloading all of their stuff from America. And what Roger Greenway said about this incident was he said it damaged all the credibility that we had with local people. Because they saw us, and what they already suspected was that we were filthy rich Americans, and then that was confirmed that day. And he said from then on out, it was very hard to reach people. Now, I read that story, and I'm thinking... You know, that's tough because that's an innocent mistake. They had no idea that when they were in America and made the decision to move by sending all of their stuff over, it was going to hurt their credibility. But what it reminded me of is that somebody's always watching. And as missionaries trying to reach people for Christ, people weren't just listening to their message or the church that they were trying to plant. People were observing their lifestyle. They were watching them. Right? And so the way we live sets an example for others. And again, Jonah is just not the best example here. Look at verse 11 through 16. Uh, we'll, we'll stop in verse 16 for this chapter. We'll pick up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 next week. But look at verse 11 and following right now. So they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Remember, they're still in this storm. For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous, which is... What the NRSV says, and I was telling Brady before church, I don't ever use that word. So, tempestuous. So, There's a strong storm. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Here's what I would call character contrast number three. As you have Jonah... Who at first, it may seem noble. He's saying, hey, you know what? It's my fault that we're in this storm. Just throw me overboard and it will stop. But really, it's not noble. What Jonah is trying to do is just end it all. He's just giving up. He's running from the Lord, and he realizes he can't run from the Lord, so he might as well drown in the sea. And then you see these pagan sailors who 
They don't want to do that. They don't want to take his life. They work hard to row back to shore to do something to try to spare not only everybody's life on the boat, but Jonah's life as well. So again, you see this contrast between them and Jonah. Well, eventually there's nothing they can do. So in verse 14, they cried out to the Lord. So notice these these pagans are now crying out to Yahweh. They're praying to him, please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The way that what I would call scene one or chapter one ends is you have the prophet of God who's there to represent Yahweh is drowning in the sea while these pagan sailors are praying to God, are making vows to God, and are sacrificing to God, which some ancient accounts show that they might have had animals on board in case a sacrifice needed to be made. So there's a good chance they were making animal sacrifices to Yahweh on that boat. right? And you see the contrast between Jonah and who he's supposed to represent and then how these sailors who don't even believe in God are now worshiping him. What do we learn from what I would call scene one from Jonah chapter one? Well, I think one thing we learn, in my opinion, is what not to do. We look at Jonah, as I mentioned from the beginning, we, it's kind of like a mirror looking into ourselves, and maybe Jonah helps us uncover some of our own toxic thoughts and behaviors and patterns in life. We learn from Jonah what not to do, and we learn that we should be mindful of our example. It's a reminder that people are watching the way that we behave and that we represent Christ. It made me think of this quote from Gandhi. Maybe you've heard it before. He once said that, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Never heard that quote before? That quote to me kind of stings a little bit, and the way that I interpret what he's saying is, I'm drawn to Jesus, but I know Christians, and I see how they behave, and I notice there's a really big gap. There's a gap between the Christ that we claim to follow, and the way that we actually behave. Which is a reminder, in light of this Jonah story in Jonah chapter 1, that we represent Jesus in all areas of life. And there's a good chance, even though we live in the Bible Belt, that we might be the only Christ representative, the only Christian influence in certain people's lives. And when they interact with us, just whether a short conversation or they're working with you or they're just watching you from afar, you may be the only glimpse into Christ that they may see. So are you representing Jesus? Kind of doing the opposite of what Jonah was. Now, if you're listening to this, it's just a side note, but if you are thinking to yourself, see, this is why I stopped going to church. Maybe you've tuned in today, you're watching on live stream because your spouse wants you to, or you came to church because your mom wants you to, and then you hear me say this, and you're thinking, that's why I stopped going because there's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, just a reminder, none of us are perfect people. We're all striving to be more like Christ. And remember from this story that even though Jonah had these contradictions within him with the way he behaved and what he claimed to believe. God still used him. Jonah was very imperfect, but God was still working on him. 
But kind of the warning that we can see from this story is what I would say, beware of the Jonah complex. Beware of how we live backs up what we claim we believe. So make sure that we're living into the light. We're living into this kingdom that Jesus has called us into. And as I think about this week coming up, I feel like this week is going to be a time where our faith is tested. Because I don't know where you stand politically, but you probably casted your vote or maybe you're going to and you're going to watch the election. And what I see, I see every four years, and it seems to be growing in intensity and getting worse and worse, especially on social media. Somebody told me recently that social media is kind of like the the town square now where everybody meets. And whether your candidate wins or loses, you have an opportunity to represent Jesus in the way that you interact with people. So I just want to remind you that. Remind you that no matter what happens to the ups and downs in life of your politics or you're getting what you hope would happen or you don't get what you hope happens, the way that you interact with people, the way that you respond to people, the way that you react out of fear or anger, whatever it may be, you represent Jesus. So remember that. That's more important than anything else. So let's represent Christ this week. There's a guy named Phil McKinney. I've mentioned his book a few times uh, over the last few weeks, really. We read it as a staff. The book is called D Squared. And he's a minister in a church in Virginia, and he has this guy that goes to church with him that has a long white beard and long white hair and a nice round belly, and guess what all the kids think he looks like? Santa. And all year long, he'll have kids that come up to him, like tugging on his shirt, like, hey, Santa, and then a parent's following behind apologetically saying, sorry. And But normally, he's, he's not irritated with these kids. He's not offended. He'll squat down and talk to them, and he's even made these cards that say something about Santa, and he'll hand these cards to the kids. And he told Phil McKinney, and this is where Phil wrote this in the book, but he said, if you're going to look the part, you need to be prepared to represent all year long. And if we are going to claim to be followers of Jesus, here's the parallel, we need to be prepared to represent him, whether it's on social media or at work or conversation, because the way we behave around one group may affect our credibility around another. So let's remember who it is that we represent. And I'll wrap it up with this message that the Apostle Paul had for Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he first, Timothy's young, and he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And then the word, the phrase that he uses is set an example. Paul's telling Timothy, set an example for all the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And that would be what I want to part with as I look at Jonah chapter 1. Don't be like we see Jonah behaving the way he's acting. Be like what Paul is calling Timothy to be, to be example setters for those around us to be mindful of your example, to remember somebody's always watching. Even though we're imperfect, we still strive to be the best examples that we can be because we represent Christ. And it all starts because Jesus first represented us by dying on the cross for us. Something we don't deserve, something we couldn't earn on our own. So this morning, as we offer a time of prayer for you or an invitation Uh, If you've not become a follower of Jesus, that invitation is always there for you. If you need to be prayed for, you need to find some sort of encouragement, 
Uh, I'm going to be up front. You can come talk with me, or you can find me after services. You can find one of our elders. You could talk up front, and uh, or we could go off to the side somewhere if you need to. But Tony's going to lead us another song, and we'll have this chance to respond if you need to or would like to this morning. We'll invite you to stand back up.